This is the Sport Lifestyle Podcast, where the trade of sport collides with fashion and innovation. Your hosts, Mike Gugat, Neil Schwartz, and John Peters, break down news, discuss trends, and interview industry influencers. The Sport Lifestyle Podcast is on now. This is episode 17 of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gugat. Hey, Poobah, how'd you hit him? Hey, it was actually a pretty good weekend on the golf course, if I do say so myself. The weather was beautiful. Um, We're finally starting to lose a little bit of our humidity down here, and it was actually very pleasant for most of the weekend. It's time for us to go down there, Mike. It hit like 40 degrees in D.C. We basically skipped fall here, so kind of sucks. This is a great time in Florida. it, it is true. And, uh, you know, when you're having to pull out the, uh, the winter clothes to go for a run, it's, uh, it's pretty brutal. Mike, Mike anyway. does, does Holden have his first, uh, winter gear yet? Oh man, that, that kid's, uh, got a closet full, but, uh, if any of our listeners want to send him things, uh, I'll be happy to just direct <laughs> message me. He's, he's 10 months and he's, he's going on a year in size. Anything from 12 to 18 months will take. Wait a minute! I have grandchildren. I, I want free. I want stuff too. Oh my gosh! Looks what we turned into. You're the one that told us not to shill for product. Let's get going. <laughs> so on the show today, are we at the intersection of sport and lifestyle? Has fashion blown through the intersection, leaving sports in the rearview mirror? REI has their gear swaps coming up. Neil, you going to go to a swap meet? Never been, but uh, my, there's a possibility. Although there's no REI down here in Florida, Michael S. And the Piper Jaffrey uh, uh, survey is out. Are product line managers sprucing up resumes or finding ways to uh, cover their asses? And we have a great interview coming up. I unfortunately was uh, in a car on my way up to New York City and was not able to participate in this interview. But the guest was Tom Stockman, the CEO of Expert Voice. Guys, what do we have to look forward to? Yeah, Mike, we did. John and I did a wonderful interview uh, last week with Tom Stockman from... Uh, from expert voice. And Tom was really very forthcoming about, you know, what they're doing there and how they're really utilizing this whole expert network kind of business model in order to help uh, products and their clients really be able to grow their business. It's a unique approach. It's a unique business model. And it was a great conversation. Excellent. Well, let's get going. The Sport Lifestyle Podcast is sponsored by Sporting Goods Business Media. The SGB Today and SGB Update daily email newsletters are the leading sources for news, information, and trends that are shaping our industry. To subscribe, just go to www.sgbmedia.com and click on subscribe. Again, that's sgbmedia.com and click on subscribe. All right, Neil. Are sneakers being designed for for function anymore? Well, you know, earlier last week, John sent me over an article from the New York Times written by Vanessa Friedman. And uh, the the article was titled The Season of Peak Sneaker Silliness. And after I got done reading the article, I I was – it was hard-pressed for me to not call this anything but the sneaker apocalypse. Um, You know, have we reached the end – of this wonderful multi-year trend for athletic wear, athletic shoes especially. Back during Fashion Week in both New York and then over in Europe, a number of designers, including Karl Lagerfeld and Yoshi Yamamoto, as well as a number of very fashion-oriented designers, 
showed off their collections, which all included really high-end fashion-oriented sneakers. And while personally, I don't have a problem with fashion um, in terms of it being a part of athletic and being a part of sneakers, but you know, when they start selling sneakers for four thousand dollars with Swarovski crystals on them, and then you know, and, and doing some of these other things that they've been doing with the sneakers, I can't help but think that we really might be at the end um, of the run once the fashion side of the business kind of gets um, into it. I did think a little bit of that uh, two years ago when we started to see manufacturers or designers like Tory Burch, um, you know, get into the athleisure side of our business. But they seem to have been able to kind of control themselves in terms of how far out they got um, in terms of utilizing this kind of athletic fashion kind of crossover. But again, you know, Jimmy Choo released their diamond sneakers. Um, again, we're adorned with all Swarovski crystals. You know, I, I'm feeling like the, it's the apocalypse um, of the sneaker culture. The only thing I can think about is if I'm donating diamond sneakers, then I can only afford a Planet Fitness uh, gym membership. No, <laughs> no taking in the Equinox. <laughs> yeah, that might might be true. Um, you know, I, I think the story is interesting. I think everybody's favorite A word now is apocalypse, whether it's retail or, or whatever. But <laughs> Uh, so we got to stop using that term, but but uh, you know this is what I was kind of alluding to when we talked to Josh Luber over at StockX. I, I realize it's a little bit different of a category, but the whole luxury fatigue. I I just again, you know, how many more brands or how many times can you make remake a T-shirt or a footwear and slap a 10x multiple on it? I, I Neil and I joke a lot that we should just start a brand and and charge 100 percent more than what we should because it, it does seem like the the luxury appetite for the consumer has no bounds. I, I, this is beyond me. I, again, I'm not the core customer of this. I mean, Neil, all the names you just named, I have no idea who they are. Um, but, but kudos on them for getting somebody to be able to pay, you know, $5,000 for a pair of sneakers. Um, sure. you know, I think we'll, we'll see. We talked about this earlier too, with Yeti and, and, uh, you know, the appetite of the consumer for a, you know, uh, $500 cooler. I, I just, when does it end? I, I, I'm fascinated by this. You know, it, the one thing about um, our business and actually any business that's involved in retail is that, you know, merchandising managers and buyers and merchandising people don't want to miss out on any trend. And, you know, if this is a real trend, you know, how is this going to manifest itself as it goes a little tiny bit, you know, um, maybe out of the designer realm and into the, you know, ready to wear or department store realm. So I do think that there's going to be some interesting pushback. Um, you know, on this, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible when I look at this and, and see some of these sneakers. I mean, but what's also interesting is that Prada actually did this way back in 1996. So, um, you know, this is not something new, but I do think it is something new from a real kind of, uh, uh, fashion and also an awareness standpoint. Um, you know, this goes well beyond Kanye West and his collaboration with Adidas. I mean, this is, this is just it, insane. It, it does, but I think that gets to the point, Neil, that it's been done for a while. I mean, you can talk about, you know, uh, uh, Ralph Lauren and Reebok and and uh, uh, car manufacturers doing special or brands doing them with car manufacturers. I think Adidas did something with Porsche and Puma did something with Ferrari. Uh, and and but there's a tipping point that seems to have occurred, or at least from the way that article presented it, where it's no longer about the sport, the functionality, the freedom of movement but more that sneakers have become like the dominant footwear within the closet. 
uh, that that fashion is is sort of co-opted it in the sense and it's okay that sport and functionality no longer matter. You know, I walked down Fifth Avenue a couple of months ago in New York and I always like to look and see what's on. And, you know, I, I did notice that in a lot of the designer stores, whether it was like Perry Ellis um, or Aldo or a number of the other um, designers, you know, they were showing sneaker looks. So, you know, it wasn't like way out there. It was a sneaker look, kind of an athletic-y, um, leather upper, um, white, um, sometimes vulcanized uh, sole to it. But they just didn't go out, you know, all into this, you know, wild fashion zone. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see if this is, you know, if this brings it to a head or if it takes it to the next level. I, I, I don't know. Well, there's something that, that you know, that I think this industry is kind of going through and JP alluded to the fact, like, when does the bottom fall out? Bet. For the longest time, this was about loss leaders. You know, it's it's like Chrysler having a super expensive sport car that clearly they're losing money on and don't sell enough of, but that's to make the, the mid-price level auto, you know, the, in that category look better, right? Like I'm not, I can't pay the $8,500,000, but I'll buy the the model that's, you know, 30 or 35. Um, and I think that's kind of the attention that comes with these sort of collaborations. But I really took away from the article is even if it's not luxury, is just the fact that it's it's so fashion driven um, now. So speaking of of bottom falling out and at what point do people stop paying for things? I think REI is doing something really unique with this uh, this whole gear swap uh, concept, and so. Uh, October 27th at a number of different REI stores throughout the country, they're going to do these swap meets essentially where you can buy a table for 20 bucks and the proceeds will go to charity. And from your table, you can sell your gear, you can buy gear from others, trade gear. Um, it's also an opportunity if you're not part of REI's co-op to spend $20 again, get, you know, going to uh, charity, but it allows you to join the co-op uh, for a lifetime. And, uh, I think it's just such a, a unique statement by them in that it has this potential of new customer acquisition. Maybe I've been in the market for something. I come there hoping to find it in my size from one of these people that is trading. But if I don't, I'm able to then go in the store and actually purchase it, whereas I wouldn't have been compelled to do it otherwise. I, I kind of liken it to for years, you would you would try to use your American Express at a locally owned business and you'd be told that, you know, we don't we don't take your American Express because it costs us more and so forth. And then American Express goes out and creates the whole small business Saturday to kind of force the hand of these independent stores that you're gonna have to start carrying American Express because, you know, look what we're doing and in, in promoting your independent business. Mike do, do you, you guys think, think Mike, do you think this is going to be a good strategy for REI in order to try to grow not just the sales, of course, but really grow the amount of traffic that they generate in the stores? You know, there's an awful lot of, you know, consumers out there that may not live in an area, you know, where REI is that prevalent. Do you think that this is a great, a good way, a great way or or a bad way for them to try to grow their constituency base, so to speak? I think it's a great way. I mean, they're doing a handful of other things too to draw attention to REI and they're opening up in places that, uh, uh, you know, in the Southeast and other places where they haven't been. But to your point, Neil, is, is that I might hear about this in a place that doesn't have an REI, but that doesn't mean I can't then, you know, I might now they're top of mind. I may actually go purchase from them online. Right. So I think it's, it's kind of twofold. One, they're, they're getting media attention. Um, uh, to consumers that maybe have never gone to an REI, and two, 
for those in certain areas where they're within driving distance of an REI and they're in the market for one of these goods, they can come there and 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 do it. I, I think a lot of people, you know, years ago would have looked at this as irrational, like you're, you know, you're biting off your nose despite your face because you know somebody's going to get something and not purchase for you. When in reality, we're now in this impulsive place where I might see something and that person doesn't have it in my size, but the impulse to buy is now there, sure. and easy enough, I can walk inside and buy. Yeah, I, I think I think it's awesome. I mean, I've never I'd never heard of this before uh, until Mike you put it on our radar with this article. But um, you know, I think one thing you guys maybe know but didn't mention is is the aspect of community, which, as we all know, the outdoor industry um, is is adamant about you know creating communities. And I mean, it, you know, the whole co op idea I, I think is is, is pretty unique. Um, now, having said that, would I participate in this? Probably not. I mean, I'm not a huge outdoor guy in general. But um, Mike, have you have you done this before, or know anybody that that has participated? I have not. I believe it's actually the first time they're they this will be the first time they do it. Interesting. I, I do think this is going to appeal to a lot of. You know, John's going to hate me for this, but it's going to appeal to a lot of millennial customers. Um, You know, based on all the research that I've seen over the last couple of years, you know, the the common thread here is that millennials aren't into stuff. They're into experience. And, you know, they want to experience these, you know, whether it's outdoor hiking or paddleboarding or whatever it might be. But they're not interested in buying the stuff that they need in order to try those activities or experience those activities. So, you know, this might play very well, um, you know, into helping to draw that customer base. I I do know, you know, an urban dweller like John, um, you know, probably not, but there are probably a lot of others that will. Yeah, and, and here it, it, I, I know you, you you have to have a zinger, JP. And if you don't, then I have <laughs> go, one. Go, you go. I'll, I'll take it easy. Go, go. Oh man, uh, I, I may have I, I may have overbilled my my zing. I actually think that you know the ageist on the podcast, the, the the baby boomer, you know, is making a very valid point. And and because of you know farmers markets and other things that have become more prevalent, and and the whole consignment space, that I do think people go regularly to places hoping to find something, you know, and the fact that like, you know, records and, and things like that are coming back, or for that matter, people are actually reading physical books again. You know, the, bah, these are places where you can actually go to discover such things. Bah, I'm going to, I'm going to start spending my money on stuff just to spite Neil. No more experiences <laughs> for me. JP is going to keep old Navy in business. Well, well, that being said, uh, the Piper Jaffrey survey is out and I don't think old Navy even ranks on that list. And, uh, and, uh, I, I just know when that survey used to come out in my former life, uh, a lot of people either panicked and were out to cover their rear ends or were, you know, celebrating, uh, that, uh, they'd shown up the way they'd shown up in the, uh, in the survey. So uh, JP, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about the survey? Yeah, some uh, some hurt feelings for some brand managers out there this week. So so Piper Jeffrey, as we all know, puts out a uh, an annual team survey. Uh, came out today, and uh, uh, contrary to popular belief on some of this podcast, the uh, survey covers over. You're you're, you're not a teenager. <laughs> no, <laughs> covered average age was 16 of the survey respondents. I think they talked to about 8,600 teens. Um, just a couple quick highlights, uh, and then we'll kind of wrap on what you guys think is most interesting. Uh, hot brands, um, 
continue to remain. Adidas, no shocker there. Lululemon seems to kind of have a strong foothold now. Nike, they said, has refused to bottom out, which I thought was really interesting. Vans uh, and Crocs may be the biggest surprise to me um, atop that list. 90 Streetwear continues to be on fire. That's brands like you know Supreme and Tommy Hilfiger and, and Champion, of course. Um, interesting, 45% of the teen group surveyed today said uh, they per, that brand matters. That's up from 33%. Given the whole private label, uh, you know, macro trend going on, I just think that's something interesting to continue to watch. And then uh, talking about spending, so on the the male side, uh, food, clothing, and video games were the top three. And then uh, for the female side, you had clothing, food, and then personal care with you know cosmetics and and Ulta is the big winner in that right now. So in Sephora probably. So uh, Neil, what stuck out to you? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is the drop, um, and I think we've talked about this before, as was the drop in awareness or brand affinity, you know, whatever you want to call it, for Under Armour. Um, you know, I think they're down to number 12, John. Am I right on that um, ranking? Yeah. You know, and that's amazing. If you would have probably looked at this survey, I'd say two or three years ago, they probably would have been maybe three or four at the worst, maybe even number one. Um, and it's been a, you know, it's been a steep decline for the Under Armour brand. Um, what's interesting also is that Stiefel, um, did their first consumer study and it was a consumer brand awareness study to understand a little bit about what their buying habits were going to be. Um, and you know, what they found was the Under Armour brand, while not appealing to the teens and backed up by the Piper survey is really starting to appeal now to, uh, you know, to the Gen Xers and the older kind of parent group. And, uh, you know, and that to me is really, um, you know, not where Under Armour, you know, I think ever really planned to be, truthfully. Yeah. I, just just to that point, sorry, Mike, to cut you off. Just, just for that point, I mean, the top 10 brands no longer worn by uh, upper income males Spring, fall 2017, spring 2018, and fall 2018, all was Under Armour number, at number one. So j- wow. j- just to your point, I mean, it's a pretty pretty staggering statistic. I guess I'm going to have to throw out all my compression gear from the early 2000s. It's <laughs> a scary I'll tell thought. You what, uh, but can I, Neil, can I ask you a follow-up on this? Sure. You know, so when we think of of the age, uh, this demographic that they're they're surveying and where they shop in the mall, and I think of some of the Genesco, uh, you know, brands. Uh, uh, not that you can speak specific to that, but what's happening at the mall right now, specific to right now, nothing. Just um, you know, mall traffic is down. Um, I haven't been actually, usually I do a little bit of time spending in the malls. I haven't been actually to the mall in a couple of weeks, but you know, I can tell you when I do walk through the malls, I do see customers in a number of the footlocker stores. Um, House of Hoops always seems to have people in it. Um, but frankly, you know, when you just mentioned journeys, um, you know, I walk by the journey store and, and I don't know what they stand for anymore and, uh, really what it is that, you know, they're going for, um, you know, vans, which was is clearly a brand on the rise. And if you listen to the VF call on Friday, you know, that was reiterated. But, um, you know, it, it, you can get vans anywhere. You can get vans at Foot Locker. You can get vans at, you know, Family Footwear. You can get vans at, you know, at Dick's Sporting Goods. So, you know, I'm not sure where, where some of these mall retailers and specifically that one you mentioned, Journeys, you know, has any, has any room to grow or has any room to go at all. 
just because, you know, the people aren't shopping in malls anymore. Mike, when's the last time Neil, Neil just the, the, the gender or sorry, the generational right. difference is, is uh, yeah, yeah, a couple yeah. two weeks since he's been in a mall. I haven't been in a mall since like two Christmases ago. When's the last time you've been in a mall, Mike? I'm going to have to wreck my brain here. Stop the clock, boys. I got to stop the clock. I only go to the mall for retail reconnaissance. I've got to keep my, uh, got to keep my ideas. I got to keep my, uh, that's why you know, your observation so fresh. That's why they're so I, I, I stay. I got to see the mall. I got to go visit the family footwear guys. I go to the Coles. I, I spend a lot of time out there looking around. My wife hates it. Of course, he, but he, 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 say, he saves Ariana Grande and Kim K for the internet. Remember hey, on a previous hey, he podcast, an, he told us he knows he how to use the internet. Now. Should we talk about that? No. Your, your daughter, <laughs> you're going to get in trouble. I give it two more weeks for you to make a, a crazy comment. Yeah, on daughter's I, photo. my wife already told me that I got to take that picture down that I use for my profile. So uh, my, 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 my inner producer is in my ear saying we need to drop out of this segment immediately. So why don't we get to our upcoming interview? Because I do think that expert voice is, is an interesting uh, 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 business and, and the fact that, you know, peers and experts that, that have influence over other peers and their purchasing decisions seem to be the, the direction we're going. So why don't we get our to the interview with Tom? This industry trend spotlight is brought to you by SSI Data, the only weekly point of sale reporting service for the active lifestyle categories from sneakers to tents and everything in between. SSI Data is the gold standard to learn what's selling to help you gain that strategic advantage. For more information, go to SSIdata.com and click contact in the upper right-hand corner. Again, that's SSIdata.com and click on contact. Welcome back to the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. We're really excited to have Tom Stockham from Expert Voice um, on the podcast today. Tom, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Why don't you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about your background and, and you know what you've done and then a little bit about what you're doing right now. Great. Love to. My background's maybe a, a, a little bit of a reflection of, of my age. There's a lot of it, but started a long time ago, spent almost my whole career building uh, companies on the web, uh, tech enabling things that were already uh, common practices before, but making them better. Long time ago in the in the late 90s was part of a group of people started company City Search, and we were out to uh, do things like put all the information that was in the yellow pages. I'm sure most of your listeners don't even remember what the yellow pages was. I but, do. Uh, the yellow pages and City Weekly magazines, just a bunch of local information on the web. Uh, and started doing that, moved from that into uh, Ticketmaster and the early days of taking ticketing online. Uh, that was a wild ride at the time, uh, about $200,000 a month worth of Ticketmaster tickets were sold via AOL. And we thought ticketing would work a lot better on the web uh, with just a little bit of focus. And, and not very many months later, we were selling $100 million worth of tickets a month wow. online. Uh, uh, from there, went to uh, uh, help build a company called Ancestry, uh, Ancestry.com. Uh, did that in the early 2000s, um, invested, uh, advised a bunch of companies, and then eventually wound up here about eight years ago, uh, at expert voice 
and uh, uh, we can talk more about that. I think uh, John has a question, Tom. Yeah. 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 I, I'm just uh, curious uh, if you could maybe for our listeners kind of uh, expand on, you know, before your role now, which, uh, you, you know, obviously being the CEO at Expert Voice, but the eight years you were there, can you talk about the, the transitions and assuming you had different roles and, and kind of what led you to become CEO today? Yeah, actually, I started here as CEO. In fact, I invested in this company before I worked here full time in its founding uh, back in uh, like 2004. This was a little uh, company, a startup that set out with the idea of helping brands connect with retail sales associates to improve their recommendations, help make them smarter about brands and products, give them insider access to information. And at the time, I thought, hey, this is an interesting company, maybe just a small company, but an interesting company uh, with an interesting take on online education. And uh, it's figured out an interesting way to monetize that and that I'd like to be involved with. And it just started growing from there. So what's Expert Voice all about now? So really, we exist to build better recommendations that help consumers make better decisions about what to buy. And uh, we've just become so aware over time that for consumers, there are more and more choices, uh, uh, things to buy. We work with uh, running shoe companies, for example, that all by themselves have more running shoes than existed in the entire running shoe category. 30 years ago. And all those uh, new choices come with more and more nuanced uh, uh, differences, things to make decisions about, more and more information, uh, some of which is great information coming from the brands and technical information and things, some of which is flat out fraud. But (laughs) regardless, it's more and it's just harder for a consumer to find real trusted guidance about what to buy. And uh, uh, we're here to help create better recommendations. At our core, we build this company on an expert network, a network of people who are more knowledgeable, more passionate, more experienced, and therefore can make better recommendations. Sure. Awesome. Well, that's interesting, Tom. I I think if you listen to you know, companies, any upstarts today, Allbirds, Upstart, uh, Away, it's a big luggage company, and you listen to their yeah. executives and even investors, they, they kind of talk about what you just said and how consumers today have more information at their fingertips. I mean, literally, you can look up where a brand came from, where they're manufacturing, et cetera. It seems like you guys have, have something interesting at, at the right time, at the right moment. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about all the information that's out there and really at its core, how it works? Can, can you walk us through that? Yeah, so um, we started out with this kind of core conviction that a better recommendation was going to come from a better person. Not all voices are created equal. One of the one of the great founding tenets of the internet, of course, is give everybody a voice, let everybody comment. But somewhere along the way, it seems like we've confused that notion of giving everyone a voice with the notion that everyone's voice should matter equally. And at some point, if you can't tell who's who, it's just a bunch of noise. It's too much. It's overwhelming information. So our core is figure out these people 
who are more knowledgeable, more experienced, more passionate about products. Uh, and by the way, where it matters, I don't know that knowledge and recommendations really matter for something like toilet paper, but when it's a pair of skis or when it's a, a pet care product that you're going to spend over $50 on or when it's, um, right. you know, stuff that matters, you care about a good recommendation. And so we've worked first to figure out who are the experts that people trust for recommendations about what to buy. How can we make those people smarter and more experienced with the products that people ask them for recommendations about? And how can we help put their recommendations to work where they matter in the real world and online? Sure. Tom, it's interesting because I have made purchases, you know, from Expert Voice before when it was actually Expert City. And you know, one of the things that I found out early on is that, you know, when people learn about what I do and who I work for and the companies that I've been engaged with, they look at me in a lot of ways as as someone that they could look up to or even look towards to get an opinion. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You are actually a perfect example of the kind of person who is on the Expert Voice Network and whose voice does matter more. You're immersed in the category people telling you what's going on. You're more passionate about it. It's part of what led you to have this job. And that makes you a credible source of, of a recommendation people could trust. Well, I know better than to use myself as an example of anything. You know, when you're in the research business, you want to try to look at the bigger picture. But, you know, what you're saying is exactly the way that, you know, Expert Voice has even worked for me. Where I've gone on the site, there have been some products that I knew nothing about. And uh, I learned, and I felt I learned in a uh, non-promotional sort of way. Yeah, we've worked really hard at that, and and we'll keep working hard at that. And it really is at its heart. It's about knowledge. It's about not limiting your knowledge or your ability to talk about things. So you know, if you were the if you were the most passionate recommender of New Balance shoes on the planet, but you knew nothing about Nike, you knew nothing about. Brooks, you knew nothing about Altra, you wouldn't be a very credible recommender. And uh, so anyway, that's just, we love this. How, how do we help people be better at giving re recommendations that consumers can trust? Tom, how many people do you have in the community so far? So active. So uh, uh, over the last 12 months, we've had about a million credentialed experts uh, a million credentialed recommenders in our network. Um, and uh, uh, we're constantly looking to grow that. Wow. Well, Tom, I'd like to get your, get your thoughts and shift a little bit. I mean, we can't talk about commerce and, and moving products without talking about, you know, the state of retail and, and some trends you guys might be seeing. I mean, obviously TSA, you know, is gone in our industry and, and it seems like a lot of doors will continue to close with some of the, 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 self-service retail, if you will. Can you just, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's an open-ended question on, on retail today. Yeah. I, you know, I think that the biggest thing retail either does well and succeeds or doesn't do well and fails ha does have to do at its center with this notion of recommendations. For 30 years, for reasons that I think it's pretty easy to understand, most of physical retail has focused on things like logistics, pricing, SKU selection, 
things like that. Um, and it's been because, by the way, the internet has emerged and competitors like Amazon and you better be efficient. You better have good prices. All those things are kind of the price of entry. But it's done all that. Most re retailers have done all that at the expense of being seen as the source of credible, helpful advice about what to buy. And, you know, if you're not, if you're a retailer and you're not the source of credible expert advice about what to buy, you are just a cost disadvantaged repository of inventory and you're going to go out of business. Um, and, you know, I think it just let me make it a little bit tangible for a second. The other day I was looking for a Wi-Fi router. And if you go on Amazon, there are roughly 5,000 Wi-Fi routers, Yikes. hundreds and hundreds of which have uh, star ratings that would make you say, yeah, that's probably good enough. But you cannot tell what the difference is and you can't tell which is right for you. And, you know, do you live in an apartment in New York with a crowded Wi-Fi space or do you live on some one story rambler in a suburb where you're trying to get Wi-Fi to the corners of the house? How much bandwidth do you have coming into your house? What the hell even is beamforming? You know, does any right. normal consumer know what that is? And okay, so out of curiosity, what did you buy? <laughs> So I wound up buying a Linksys system and it was because I went into a Best Buy and Best Buy has, you know, Best Buy still got a long way to go. But I think one of the interesting uh, stories of a retailer turning itself is Best Buy figuring out it really needs to be a place you can go and find advice from real humans in the store. And they're starting to make a real push at it. And it was great to be able to go into a place and say, well, wait, what is the difference? What's right for me? And have them at least try to answer that question. Hey, Tom, we talk an awful lot about retail and what's going on at retail. And, and John and I, in fact, have gotten into a bunch of, let's say, heated discussions. Uh, you know, I tend to, I'm a little bit more old school because I'm a little older. But you know, the one thing that I think John and I both agree on is that the retail world in general has been slow to kind of adapt, you know, to some of this new technology, whether it's uh, AR and augmented reality or AI. You know, where where do you – why do you think that the traditional retailers are slow to adopt that? And, and where are you in using some of this new technology? Yeah, so I – you know, some retailers have been quick to adapt to uh, uh, some technology, but too often it's the wrong technology. And uh, others, as you say, just have been slow, period. And I, at the end of the day, a retailer's reason for being is to help a consumer make better decisions about what to buy. That is what merchandising is. That is what effective buying and you know figuring out what items you have in your store is about. And the retailers who aren't focused on helping consumers make better decisions, which by the way, affects traffic. If you have the reputation as being the place that's going to help me make a better decision about what to buy, have a great buying experience, that's traffic. It's conversion rate. If you actually help me make a better decision than I can make on my own online, that's higher conversion rate, that's higher order value, average order value, and a lower likelihood to return. And the retailers that figure out how to do that are, will win. And the figure, retailers who don't figure out how to do that won't exist. And it is causing a fundamental shift in the retailing landscape. It, now, that said, it's easy to have a lot of boldness and second guess what retailers are doing. 
at retail, especially at scale, is a hard business to execute on. So they've been frightened because they've been being, they've had margins eaten by uh, uh, big competitors like online competitors and things like that. Um, sure. But I, it, the last two years anyway, to me, following the space a lot feels like there's a new energy and there are some more retailers who are starting to win. Um, of course, there are some that are headed for the, the, the trash bin. I, you know, I, I expect Sears to go bankrupt any day now. I, I think a bunch of old line retailers are in real trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I think Sears just actually, you know, this week there was some news about that, but, um, you know, Tom sticking to our industry and in, in retail, just, just one more question on, on this. Um, Nike decided they're going to go to jet.com, which I'm sure you saw expand yeah. their distribution, which yeah. has been in the industry forever. You, you know, like there were some head turnings, like, wait, what? So yeah. I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts? I'm still, my head still turns, yeah. by the way. <laughs> your head still looks the other way. So <laughs> do you expect more and more quote unquote premium brands to be in Walmart tomorrow? I mean, or in the future, what, what do you think about the distribution side of that? You know, I, it's, it's hard for me to predict Walmart and jet in particular is trying to figure out how does it become a better place for premium brands. It, it has only up to go. It, you know, Walmart, no one thinks of Walmart as a place for any kind of premium brand. It's all about low price. Um, and so, you know, I, I laud uh, a Jet and Walmart for figuring out how to go really have deep conversations and figure out some deep agreement with someone like Nike. And, and I have no idea. It must've been a really interesting agreement because there's no other right. reason something like that would make sense. Um, but I, I expect lots of retailers to, you know, including the likes of Walmart, try and do things to either become more Amazon-like uh, and they have to, Amazon is so remarkable at so many levels or to become more differentiated in the ways Amazon's going to have a hard time duplicating. And that brings me all the way back to this central point. Like either retailers are the source of expert guidance about what to buy, a trusted source of advice, real advice that helps you make a better decision, or they're in trouble. Hey, Tom, we have just like uh, one or two more questions, and then we want to also give you a chance to let people know how to get a hold of, uh, you know, expert voice. But, you know, let me ask you a question. When you said that there was over a million active members on the community, and by the way, that is nothing to sneeze at, um, would you ever get involved in any of the, let's say, startups that are, you know, out there? You know, as an example, if Allbirds had come to you um, and said, hey, we've got this new product and, you know, it started to do well, but we'd like to get it out there um, among your expert network. Is that something that you would have done at the time? Is that something you would consider now or is that something you would never consider? No, absolutely. You know, look, we start from the position of is the product recommendable? So if it were a startup and it were just trying to foist some also ran product and and win by some kind of marketing trickery we we would have no interest but if it's a company and a product that has built something that is unique in the marketplace and is worth recommending people who are are experts in the category would say that's really interesting teach me more and because i'd like to recommend that we would definitely and we have worked with great companies we've seen we've worked very early with companies in a bunch of categories uh uh you know icebreaker from its earliest days uh vortex optics 
companies that were startups when we started working with them and are now huge players in their categories, Yeti. Um, uh, and we, we love working with companies and people who've created a product that uh, uh, is really worth recommending and, and creates a new solution for consumers. That's interesting to hear, Tom, really awesome. is. Yeah, John? well, Tom, you mentioned a couple brands there. If you if you want to share any any other brands you guys are working with, and um, maybe any any way if you know if you're a manufacturing brand listening now and they want to get in touch and 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 learn more, what would you uh, suggest they do? So we work with hundreds of brands across categories that range from outdoor and sporting goods to nutrition to pet care to mobile electronics. We love to work with great brands where we can match them up with our audience of expert recommenders. And um, any company that wants to build, uh, grow sales through better recommendations and, and build their recommendation network, that's a company we would love to work with. And uh, lots of ways to get in touch with us. Expertvoice.com. Uh, uh, we have ways there to get in touch with us both online and via phone. And uh, yeah, we, we love to work with great brands. So again, you know, if uh, you know any of the brands that are listening, if you want to learn more about Expert Voice, um, you know, go to expertvoice.com. And uh, I was on the website yesterday. It's very informative. And I think it really gives you a good, you know, overview of what, um, of what this great uh, company can do. Tom, I, I just want to really thank you for your time today. Um, you've been incredibly forthcoming with information um, and incredibly forthcoming with, uh, you know, a lot of uh, interesting things about our business. John, do you have anything to no, wrap up Tom, with? Tom, thank you so much. This is fascinating. I, I'll watch, continue to watch you guys and, and uh, you know, root you on. I'm, I'm sure uh, you guys have a lot of success in the future. So thank you so much. Hey, guys, thanks so much for having me and, and appreciate you uh, letting me go on. Thanks. Thanks a lot and have a great you day. Too. Bye. our guest Tom Stockham from Expert Voice, our sound engineer Tyrone Littman. This podcast would not be possible if not for our partnership with the Washington, D.C. office of cable TV, film, music, and entertainment, our mayor, Muriel Bowser, our friends at 202 Creates. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Be sure to rate us. Until next time, play hard or at least look good doing it.